Building a brand, whether two months old or 200 years old, lives or dies on how well it thrives in the market for which it's intended. As such, today I'll be diving into a new brand story that teaches us an essential lesson on why a well-defined, thought-out strategy is pivotal when it comes to extending a brand's products and services. All this and more on The Rightly Design Show. No man who cares about originality will ever be original. It's the man who's only thinking about doing a good job or telling the truth who becomes really original and doesn't notice it. You're listening to the fusion of form and function. This is The Rightly Designed Show. Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Thomas and this is the Rightly Designed Show. So I've mentioned in the past and something I wanted to touch on just briefly here at the top of this episode is that I'm always open to answering any feedback or ideas or thoughts that you have regarding the show. And one of the thing I uh, one of the things I just wanted to take a quick moment to reemphasize and just touch on, especially if you're a new listener, is the fact that the show here and the main goal of it isn't so much to teach design, isn't so much to teach, you know, how to become a designer or that sort of thing. It's more to work together with you on building a brand. A brand is something that's imperative to really anybody who's going to be selling a product or service, or even if you just have something as simple as a blog that you're trying to promote, or a podcast that you're trying to promote, or a business that you're trying to build, a brand is at the center of all of it. So as you have probably guessed, if you've listened to the show before, or even if you've just read some of the articles on Rightly Designed, Brand building is a very fluid process in that it's always changing and there's always new things to learn. And that includes me. So as much as I've been studying brands and been building brands and designing them over the years, again, there's always new things to learn. So as always, if you do have a question that you'd like featured on the show, you're always welcome to call in at 888-727-1496. Again, that's 888-727-1496. Or you're always welcome as well to just send me an email. So don't hesitate if you just got a question that you want answered. Um, of course, I will ask for your permission if it's something I actually mentioned on the show. But if you just want to reach out, if you got thoughts or feedback for the show, if there's something that's working, something that's not working, feel free to email me at show at rightlydesigned.com and I'd be happy to hear from you. So you're always welcome to reach out. And as always, I want to make the show as useful for you as possible. So that's and that's why I'm here. Uh, and of course, to always answer your questions in whatever way I can. So today's main topic that I'm going to dive into is a brand that has overcome a lot of adversity, that has overcome a lot of, you know, problems, anything from, you know, economic stagnation to outright economic collapse to mismanagement and to some rather less than top-notch choices when it came to branding and business decisions. But before I get to that, I wanted to take a quick moment to mention today's sponsor, and that is ConvertKit. So if you've heard me talk about ConvertKit uh, talk about ConvertKit in the past, you probably know that it's a really powerful service. But ConvertKit goes far beyond just uh, enabling you to send out bulk emails. So uh, if you if you've used a number of the other top email marketing programs that are out on the web today, you've probably noticed some of the quirks that come along with them. I know I have. So I've built a number of different websites and I've worked with a wide variety of clients who ask me to set up 
various email marketing services for their website. And there's the same problems that always come up. You know, oh, I got duplicate subscribers or I want people to be able to, I want to be able to create multiple forms that people fill out and not have them, you know, again, duplicated as subscribers. Or I just want to be able to make a simple form so that when somebody fills it out, uh, they get sent an email so they can download an ebook or a white paper or get a link to a video or, you know, just about everybody wants to offer some sort of lead magnet when it comes to, you know, offering an email subscription. Well, ConvertKit has that built right in. So you can uh, set up a, a really easy confirmation or welcome email with a link to download your ebook. You can even upload it right there within the ConvertKit interface. So a lot of the common issues that people have is solved right there through ConvertKit. They also have a wide variety of different automation features. They connect with, I think it's over 30 different uh, services and softwares out there that you probably use every single day. So give it a try, I highly recommend it. As a listener to the Rightly Designed Show, ConvertKit is going to give you a 30-day free trial. So you can jump in there, you can upload your email list, and you can start sending emails today. You can try it out for yourself, don't take my word for it. Um, you can find out, again, for yourself that it is a really powerful and affordable solution to email marketing. Again, your email list is your most important asset when it comes to building a business or when it comes to building a brand. So if you'd like to take advantage of that 30-day free trial, you can go to rightlydesigned.com slash convertkit. Again, that's rightlydesigned.com slash convertkit. Have a question for the show? Feel free to visit rightlydesigned.com slash question or call 888-727-1496. Few brands have ever reached the level of becoming synonymous with a specific product. When it happens, however, it's nearly impossible for the competition to overcome. You're probably well familiar with Kleenex, Xerox, Q-tips, Band-Aids, and, well, you get the idea. The brand we'll be exploring today, however, didn't become known for its primary product overnight. After changing hands and names repeatedly from the time of its inception, the company went from helping people clean their hands to making brighter smiles. Today's brand story is Colgate. It was the year 1806, and 23-year-old William Colgate opened his New York City-based factory and shop. In the beginning, the shop focused primarily on producing and selling starch, soap, and believe it or not, candles. After meeting with some success during its first two years of business, Colgate partnered with Francis Smith, and the name shifted to Smith and Colgate. The name it was to bear until 1812, until William purchased Smith's share and formed a partnership with his brother Bowles. Thus began a trend that would carry on for years to follow, 
constant name changes. Upon partnering with his brother, William Colgate changed the name to William Colgate and Company. Just to give you an idea of how many times the name shifted, merged, and changed, here's just a sampling of the company names the brand bore. Smith and Colgate, William Colgate and Company, Colgate and Company, Colgate Palmolive Peat Company, Colgate, a subsidiary of International Quality Products Corporation, Colgate Palmolive, and of course, plain old Colgate. Names aside, however, let's get back to the company after William Colgate partnered with his brother Bowles. As the company continued to grow, it expanded its operations to a Jersey City, New Jersey factory in 1820, where they would continue to produce Colgate's top two products, Windsor toilet soaps and pearl starch. In 1857, however, the company's founder, William Colgate, passed away. As a result, he left the torch with the new president, Samuel Colgate, who had continued to serve in this role until his death 40 years later. During Samuel Colgate's time at the company, a wide variety of new products were released as the brand slowly began to take shape from its humble beginnings. Some of the products included perfumes, essences, and perfume soap. A product for which the company was beginning to become well-known, starch, came to an abrupt end after a fire in 1866 that destroyed the factory. In 1873, however, Colgate began to shift into what many of us think of when we hear the name Colgate. However, the early product probably isn't what you were envisioning. The plastic, neatly capped tube that you snag off the grocery store shelf neatly packaged into a glittering foil box. No, early Colgate toothpaste came instead in a jar, the same packaging that would continue for the 23 years that were to follow. While it didn't come with a long list of features and a seal of approval from the American Dental Association, the product itself continued its growth and prominence in the average American lifestyle. By the 1890s, Colgate had introduced a form of packaging much closer to what we're familiar with today, known as the Colgate Ribbon Dental Cream in the now ever-popular collapsible tube. White, safe Colgates will not stain or discolor. So always brush your teeth right after eating with Colgate Dental Cream to stop unpleasing breath. Stop tooth decay. Brush your teeth with Colgate. Colgate Dental Cream, it cleans your breath. What a toothpaste. Why cleans your teeth? The company didn't stop with dental cream, however. In the early 1900s, Colgate began to produce a variety of laundry soaps, toilet paper, and perfumes. In 1910, the company shifted its headquarters to Jersey City. While Colgate remained largely an East Coast company, factories were also opened in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, under the name B.J. Johnson Soap Company and the Three Pete Brothers in Kansas City, Kansas. Not too long later, Johnson's Soap Company produced a product that would become the best-selling soap in the world, Palmolive Soap. The company name was later changed to Palmolive Company in 1960. October 25, 1929, however, marked a day that arguably had the greatest potential in the company's entire history. Management signed an agreement to merge with then Kraft Phoenix Cheese Corporation, or Kraft Foods as you may know it, and Hershey Chocolate Company. 
The plan was for each company to continue to operate independently under a newly formed, previously mentioned, International Quality Products Corporation subsidiary. Only four short days after the agreement was finalized, however, the great stock market crash hit. This forced the entire arrangement to be scrapped. In the wake of the crash, the Colgate family resigned control of Colgate Palmolive Peat and installed Bayard Colgate as president in 1933. Following the crash of the early 1930s, however, Colgate, as with many other companies at the time, was able to rebound. In fact, as time went on, Colgate began to trailblaze international operations, creating a branch in Canada, France, Australia, United Kingdom, Germany, Philippines, Brazil, Argentina, South Africa, and Mexico. Not even a decade after the crash, the company's sales hit $100 million. Following the trend of buying up smaller companies, Colgate brought on Fab Detergent and Ajax Cleanser. Despite all of Colgate's successes, however, including these two popular product additions, it did little to help them gain on their top competition, Procter & Gamble Company, who still held a considerable edge over them in selling detergent products in the United States. As 1960 came, however, the company was graced with fresh hopes, as its new president, George H. Lesh, took the helm. Under Lesh, the company began an aggressive new product development approach that produced sub-brands like cold powder laundry detergent, palm olive dishwashing liquid, and ultra-bright toothpaste. In an effort to break out of the highly saturated and competitive market in which they found themselves, Colgate further extended its brand by releasing food wrap called Baggies in 1963. As a result of these product launches, the company's sales grew between 8 and 9% every year throughout the 1960s. Sales topped the $1 billion mark in 1967. The company faced new challenges as the 1970s came around, however. Environmental concerns began to arise around the phosphate and enzyme detergent products on which the company was so dependent. As a response to this mounting concern, and in an effort to gain the upper hand with its ever-prominent rival, Procter & Gamble, Colgate pursued a number of joint venture partnerships leveraging other companies' products in the process. Some of these included British Wilkinson's sword company Razors and Blades, Kendall and Company's hospital and industrial supplies manufacturing, and many others. In 1972, the company produced another staple of its own, Irish Spring Deodorant Soap. Just as the company began picking up steam through a number of its brand extensions, company acquisitions, and new product releases, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission enacted restrictions on in-store product promotions. As a result, Colgate had to shift its strategy for how to foster, grow, and maintain a steady brand visibility in the marketplace. Two efforts included programs that awarded money to schools and local civic groups whose youth collected the most labels and box tops from select Colgate products. While Colgate's rapid diversification and plunges into a wide variety of markets showed some short-term successes, its long-term effect appeared to somewhat water down the brand and slow growth. An economic recession and advertising cuts the company made didn't make matters any better. More frustrating still, Colgate was still continually losing the brand battle with its ever-menacing rival Procter & Gamble. 
In the company's effort to conserve, they cut in the area where they needed it most, research and development. This left Colgate without a top brand product for some time. As a result, the company tried once more for another direction when it acquired Riviana Foods, a major producer of Texas long grain rice with its own subsidiaries in pet food, kosher hot dogs, and candy. The company was determined to find a market in which they held the upper hand. What they were met with, however, was more disappointment. As the company would soon find out, they were stuck with two unprofitable restaurant chains and a subpar quality candy company. Severe drops in the price of rice further shaved back Riviana's cash flow. After what seemed like an unending stream of disappointment, the company began to make yet another comeback under the new leadership of Reuben Mark in the mid to late 80s. Between 1984 and 1986, several inefficient plants were closed, hundreds of employees laid off, and non-core businesses sold, including the remnants of the cratering Riviana Foods. The company finally began to do what great brands do, trim the fat, define its unique successes, and refine them into an unbeatable, unmistakable, powerful brand. In addition, Mark did another thing great brands do, focus on internal improvements. Mark developed a set of corporate initiatives intended to address business areas ranging from production cost reduction to new product development with a heavy emphasis on motivating employees and involving them in the company decision-making. In other words, he began to get employees invested in the brand. As a result, the company's U.S. toothpaste business enjoyed a boost with the first-to-market introductions of a gel toothpaste and a pump-type dispenser bearing the Colgate brand name. Mark's brand-focused strategic approach appeared to pay off handsomely. By the end of the third quarter of 1989, Colgate's international operations performed strongly while the profitability of its U.S. operations rose. Not yet ready to concede the U.S. market for personal care products to Procter & Gamble, though, Colgate acquired Vipont Pharmaceutical, a manufacturer of oral hygiene products, toward the end of that year. Vipont's products, several of which Colgate had already been marketing overseas, enabled Colgate to strengthen the market position it had recently established with the introduction of a new tartar control formula toothpaste. Fast forward to today, and while Colgate continues its struggle with companies like Procter & Gamble, they remain one of the most well-recognized hygiene brands in the world. So as we swing open the old medicine cabinet and grab that trusty tube of germ-killing, gingivitis-fighting, whitening toothpaste, we can remember that we hold in our hands a brand that's very long and arduous path is the very reason it's become an almost unnoticed necessity of our everyday lives. build a better brand through the fusion of form and function. This is The Rightly Designed Show.
Okay, so hopefully that gives you a little bit of an overview of the history of Colgate. And I think there's a lot of different lessons that we could probably pull from some of the main points that were highlighted. But I wanted to focus on one in particular. And that is the importance of having a strategic and well thought out approach to doing a brand extension. So if you're not already familiar with what a brand extension is, a brand extension is taking the brand that you already have, whether that's a corporate brand, whether that's a product brand, and extending it into another market. So for example, a logical brand extension was for Crayola, for example, known well for crayons, an extension that they created years ago was for markers. Another brand extension that they created was to offer Crayola colored pencils. Why is that a natural brand extension? Well, because it's still within the same sphere. It's still within the same, you know, area of interest as the crayons. And in some cases, it's almost a replacement for them. So that made sense. It's a natural brand extension. By doing it, by, by extending the brand in that way, they were able to make a, a, you know, a strong, they're able to produce strong sales. They're able to strengthen the Crayola brand by extending it. Now, there's other examples of people who try to extend their brands into, you know, into the same type of product market, but don't quite have as much success. So a while back, uh, the company Levi, you know, known Levi's, you know, the jeans as we all well know them tried to produce a suit. So I don't know about you, but when I thought of a suit made of made by Levi's, I thought of a, de a denim suit. So that's the first thing that came to my mind. That did not work as well for them. But again, it was an extension that didn't necessarily fit with their overall brand, with what they're known for, with what their core essence is. So similarly, what we saw a lot with Colgate throughout the years is just a lot of, I guess you could say, branding ADD, meaning that they went in every possible direction. When they saw that sales were starting to stagnate, they went into this food service and they're producing, you know, rice and then candy. And then, you know, even to start with, they did candles and soaps and soaps and candle, you know, soaps specifically were, were pretty core and pivotal to what they did. Again, they're hygiene products. So that kind of makes sense. But then going out into food service and again out to candy and then every single which way in every direction. A lot of times the reason, the motive for doing that is short-term success. So if you haven't already, you might want to take a quick moment to go back and listen to an episode I recorded a while back. Um, it's episode number 35 where I touched on Krispy Kreme, the company who did something very similar. And you see this a lot, and it's a great lesson that we can learn as we're building a brand. You don't necessarily have to be a multi-million dollar company to take these things to heart and to consider them when you're building your brand. It's important to first lay that solid foundation of what makes your brand unique. What is the unique differentiating benefit about what you do? What is the, you know, the unfair advantage of the way that you offer your products and services? Focusing in on that and then having a strategic approach as to how you can extend that brand when you're ready to. So previously I used the Crayola example. They were able to extend their brand from crayons into colored pencils, and that's a logical fit. So for example, we have Jell-O. We know the normal gelatin, the jiggly, you know, strawberry stuff that we make, you know, for parties or housewarming or whatever it's going to be. That product they extended into pudding. Again, it's a natural extension of that of that brand. Uh, it's something that kind of fits alongside it while yet being a completely different product. 
So what we saw with Colgate, again, was kind of moving in too many directions at once. One of the lessons that we can learn is that, again, while extending a brand into a new, a completely new and different market can have short-term benefits, they made some quick sales, they did actually improve them. What we saw is that they began to taper off over time, and the reason, in large part, is because when you start to do that, when you start to stretch a brand in too many different directions, it starts to water down that brand. It loses its effectiveness, it loses its prominence, and it loses its appeal. The reason why Colgate today, when I say Colgate, you probably think toothpaste, is because they have narrowed and refined and focused that brand down onto a few specific core items. One of the things you can do if you want to, to you know, go off into another market or try something completely new is to start a new brand or a sub-brand, something that does not weigh down or tie down a current brand into something else. Because again, if we go in too many different directions, then that brand ceases to have a unique element to it, something for which it is differentiated amongst other items or other products or other companies in that particular market. So again, that is a great lesson for anybody. If, you've, if you're just now starting a brand, if you're planning on one, or if you've already built a brand and see you're considering coming out with some new products or some new services that you want to offer, to take some time to consider what is it that your brand is established on? What is it that, what is the foundation of which your brand, on which your brand currently stands? And are you deviating away from that? Is this new product going to shift your brand away? Is it going to water it down? And is it time for you to create perhaps a sub-brand or something that will be separate or different from the brand that you're currently trying to build? Because as you'll notice throughout a lot of the branding uh, things that I cover, branding lessons that I cover, a strategy, a formulaic approach to every element of brand building can have significant long-term benefits for any product and for any business. So I hope you found this useful. Again, there's always lessons we can learn throughout history as uh, you know, different brands have risen and fallen on the different decisions that they've made. And so if we can you know, take part or go through them ourselves, hopefully we can learn uh, from some of the successes and even some of the failures that have gone on again throughout history. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you have, if you have a question that you'd like potentially featured here, feel free to call 888-727-1496, and I would be more than happy to consider that for a full-length episode. Other than that, I'd like to thank you again so much for taking the time to listen to the program today, and we'll see you next week. Enjoying the Rightly Designed show? Please consider taking a quick moment to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the channel of your choice. Visit rightlydesigned.com show for links to these channels and more.